Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast, which is now on justthenews.com, dedicated to facts, not spin, and reporting on underreported stories and views that cut across the grain. I hope you'll subscribe to this and other Just the News podcasts, John Solomon Reports, and The Pod's Honest Truth with the Christian Broadcasting Network's David Brody. If you intuitively do not trust a lot of political polling, you're going to love today's podcast. We're going to talk about polls and how they are interpreted wrongly or without the proper context by the news organization that pays for the poll. This is part of the reason why so many people seemed blindsided in 2016 when Trump won. I'll have some specific shocking examples, including in 2020, of why a lot of what you read in polling results is spin more than fact. And I'll have citations so you can dig in and read the information for yourself if you like. Let's start with something I've been looking at the past couple of years, and that is the trend of national polls using Democrat-heavy samples but that not being reported for context by the news organizations that write up the results. It matters. For example, to oversimplify, to make a point, if a poll in 2016 found 60% voting for Hillary Clinton and 40% for Trump, that sounds bad for Trump. But what if you were to find out that 70% of the sample was Democrat? That 60% for Hillary suddenly doesn't look so good for her, and Trump is actually on top. Now, pollsters have said, when I've called them and asked about this, that one reason they sample heavy on Democrats is because more of the American population identifies as Democrat. Well, that's now changed, according to Gallup, and this is a significant point. Gallup now finds that 48% of Americans identify as Republicans or Republican-leaning, compared to 44% who said that they are Democrats or Democrat-leaning. So more Republicans now than Democrats. And that is a flip from the Democrat Party advantage that was held for much of last year. So are the polls now therefore interviewing more Republicans than Democrats? After all, the reason they said they were interviewing more Democrats was because more Americans identify as Democrat. Now the Gallup says more Americans identify as Republicans. Have they changed how they operate? Well, not the latest Fox News poll that I looked at. Now, this poll is interesting. It was conducted February 23rd to 26, 2020. This poll said Bernie would beat President Trump head-to-head by seven percentage points. So that looks like, wow, Bernie Sanders beating the incumbent Trump by a pretty heavy margin in a Fox News poll. Well, guess what? I looked at the data, And they interviewed nine percentage points more Democrats than Republicans. They interviewed 41% Republicans, 50% Democrats. What does it mean? Well, if they had interviewed at least a 50-50 split, Trump would beat, not lose, to Sanders. And if they had interviewed a Republican-heavy sample, remember, earlier pollsters had said they interview more Democrats because there are more Democrats in America Well, now, if there are more Republicans, if they had interviewed more Republicans, you can see how Trump would have handily beaten Sanders by even more in this poll. So the headline really should have been Sanders beats Trump by seven percentage points among a sample that interviewed nine percentage points more Democrats. You can look this up for yourself. If you look at the Fox News poll, you can Google this and it should come up. 
February 23rd to 26 in 2020, and you can look under political identification and see the split of how they interviewed 41% of people who identify as Republicans, 50% of people who identify as Democrats. Now, for some background as we talk about polls, some other recent numbers from Gallup, which are pretty surprising. Gallup has been measuring these numbers in the long term. Registered voters favoring a second term for Trump has jumped up from 41% to 50%, nine percentage point increase. Trump's job approval, foreign affairs, and trade numbers hit their record highs in recent weeks. His approval on the economy is the highest of any president in more than 18 years. The majority, this was conducted right before the impeachment not guilty vote in the Senate, the majority favored finding Trump not guilty of impeachment charges. Republican favorability in the middle of the impeachment trial jumped eight percentage points and was the highest since 2005. These are the things that are not widely reported. And more Americans, as I mentioned, now identify as Republicans than Democrat. President Trump's job approval rating rose to 49% of this particular Gallup poll, which was the highest ranking of his presidency. His previous best number was 46%. And that rise in the number was due to better marks, not only among Republicans, but independents who also see Trump as more favorable than they used to. And on a couple of other quick topics, though you don't hear much about this reported on the news, the Gallup poll said 63% approve of Trump's handling of the economy, up six percentage points from November, and the highest economic approval rating, not only for Trump, but any president since George W. Bush enjoyed what Gallup called stratospheric job approval ratings that was the first few months after the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. Also, according to Gallup, Trump is at his best numbers for handling foreign affairs and trade. And for the first time since 2005, Republican favorability has surpassed the 50% mark. 51% of Americans view the Republican Party favorably. That is up eight percentage points from just last September. Slightly less, slightly fewer. 45% of Americans have a positive opinion of the Democrat Party, and that is down from September. These are important trends when it comes to who should be polled and how the questions should be asked and how the sample should be chosen. And to go over once again, Gallup finds 48% of Americans identifying as Republicans or Republican-leaning, compared to less, 44%, who say they are Democrats or Democrat-leaning, and that is a flip from what was the truth throughout most of 2019. So why do so many of the polls that get the most publicity seem to have results that fly in the face of all of this? Well, just as the narrative calls upon the news to codify certain storylines these days, political polls are now widely used for the same purpose. Polls have morphed from providing a snapshot of public opinion at a given moment in time to becoming an indispensable tool used to shape voter opinion. I recently talked about this with the famous pollster Scott Rasmussen of scottrasmussen.com, and he told me, of course, people use polls to shape public opinion. He said that if you went back 20 or 30 years, there weren't as many public polls, so the polling that is out there now is brought in specifically to shape opinion on a number of things. A lot of people probably do not put much thought into 
exactly how polls work and their relationship with news organizations. When news outlets or companies commission polls, they get to decide what questions are asked and how they are phrased and what headlines are chosen from the results. Rasmussen told me when I asked him about this, obviously, he said, the organization paying for the poll can use it however they want. They can select the questions, they can decide on the wording, they can interpret it however they want. And in this way, I think, polls have become very essential elements in advancing the political horse race narratives. See if any of these sound familiar. All of the polls show Joe Biden in first place and the only one who can beat Donald Trump. Or Trump is so unpopular, any Democrat would beat him. All the Democrats beat him. A poll that came out from Quinnipiac in August of 2019 found that every top major Democrat at the time beat Trump by at least nine points. In fact, even at that point, some analysts were pressing Democrats who were hovering near the 1% mark to hang it up. But the election was still a year and a half away. That's a lifetime in political terms. Everyone seems to have forgotten that Donald Trump was hovering near the bottom at the exact same time in the 2016 campaign. The early polls cannot be taken as hard indicators of what will come. Let's review some of the really big misses from the last campaign. In May of 2015, a Quinnipiac University poll found that Donald Trump topped the no-way list among Republicans, with 21% of GOP voters saying they would definitely not support him. In June of 2015, an NBC Wall Street Journal poll put Donald Trump at 1% and behind 10 Republican candidates, Bush, Walker, Rubio, Carson, Huckabee, Paul, Perry, Cruz, Christie, and Fiorina. Remember Fiorina? Politico's Daniel Strauss tried to tap down fears that Trump could actually be a winner by saying, whispers of a Trump surge are making the rounds. It might be wise to take a deep breath. Nationally, Trump's polling has been on the decline. Former New Hampshire Republican Party Chairman Fergus Cullen declared at the time that there was, quote, no visible grassroots movement for Trump in New Hampshire. And Patrick Murray, director of the Monmouth University Polling Institute, said, quote, at the end of the day, it's quite possible that Donald Trump will get 11% in New Hampshire, but that might be his cap. 11%, he said, but Trump ended up winning the Republican primary in New Hampshire with just over 35% of the vote. In July of 2015, USA Today's Suffolk poll found Trump trailed Clinton by 17 points, 51% to 34%. In September 2015, an NBC Wall Street Journal poll found the only Republican whom Clinton led by a significant margin was businessman Donald Trump. She supposedly had a 10-point advantage. This trend continued even as we got closer to the primaries. In November of 2015, Nate Silver, the polling site 538, said Trump's odds of winning the presidency were higher than zero but considerably less than 20 percent. In December of 2015, an NBC News Wall Street Journal poll determined that Hillary Clinton would beat Trump by 10 points. Quinnipiac found that Clinton would thump Trump 47% to 40%. You can look up that one pretty easily if you want to under Rolling Stone. If you just Google Donald Trump would get schlonged, S-C-H-L-O-N-G-E-D, which was an article by Tom Dickinson in Rolling Stone talking about this poll.
Still in November of 2015, an NBC Wall Street Journal poll determined Clinton would smash Trump 50 to 40 percent. Fox News said Clinton would beat Trump 49 to 38 percent. And DeRoy Murdoch of National Review predicted that a Trump nomination would, in his words, engineer a Hillary Clinton landslide. And his advice was that Marco Rubio would be a far more elusive target for Clinton's slings and arrows. Moving to January 2016, David Wasserman wrote in 538 that a Donald Trump nomination would make Clinton's election very likely and raise the odds of a Democratic Senate. Here's what he said, quote, in other words, if you're a member of the Republican Party who wants to win in November, it's basically Rubio or bust. And in March 2016, four years ago this month, a just-the-facts analysis of hard data by TheConversation.com determined that Trump could not win enough electoral votes to beat Clinton, ending up with just 236 electoral votes, which was 34 fewer than the 270 needed. Well, they were off in the end by about 68 electoral votes because Trump received 304, and that was 34 more than needed. In fact, Clinton actually ended up with fewer electoral votes than the deficit they predicted for Trump. But there was no mountain of mainstream analysis or criticism of these polls and trends. All of this, I think, has contributed greatly to the media's declining credibility when it comes to how they're reporting on polls and the political campaigns. So who did get attacked after the 2016 presidential race when it comes to polling? Well, the polling group that proved to be the most accurate. More on that in just a moment. We are back. A subpart of the concept of polls as narratives is narratives about polls, especially when a particular poll is off narrative. So if you begin to understand the trend of using polls to shape public opinion, rather than as legitimate measures of public opinion, you begin to understand why polls with off narrative results, even if they're accurate, must be controversialized. If they were not, people might believe their numbers and trends, which many special interests do not want to happen. Rasmussen Reports learned this the hard way after it became the polling group that most accurately predicted the popular vote in the 2016 presidential campaign. As a side note, Scott Rasmussen that founded the company and Rasmussen Reports have severed their relationship. They did so some years ago and are now separate entities. In December of 2018, a Rasmussen Reports poll had numbers that were more favorable for President Trump than other polls, and this is how the controversy began. Trump tweeted out the numbers. That was all it took for the media pushback to rear its ugly head. The attackers not only went after President Trump, but they attacked Rasmussen Reports. It's yet another demonstration of how the news has transformed the way that it sees itself from a reporter of facts to a shaper of public opinion. CNN titled its article, you can look this up if you want to, Trump's favorite pollster was the least accurate in the midterms. If you just go online and search for CNN and Trump's favorite pollster was least accurate, you'll be able to find this article. Harry Enten of CNN wrote, quote, just this week, the president tweeted out a result from his favorite pollster, Rasmussen Reports, that showed his approval rating stood at 50%. Rasmussen's polling does not meet CNN standards for a number of reasons, including that it doesn't call cell phones. 
Of course, Anton doesn't mention that CNN's own poll back in July of 2015 found that Hillary Clinton's clearest advantage among Republicans was over Donald Trump. In fact, CNN put Clinton's advantage over Trump at 25 full percentage points, 59 to 34 percent. Never mind that. It's not really about accuracy. It's about controlling the storyline and telling people only that which will convince them to think a particular way. So Inton went on to write, The fact that Rasmussen has a better approval rating for the president than other pollsters isn't new. This is why we've seen Trump mention Rasmussen many times. The midterm elections prove that, at least for now, Rasmussen is dead wrong and traditional pollsters are correct. Do you think it's a little odd that CNN and other media are working so hard to further the notion that Rasmussen reports polls are somehow not to be trusted, to imply that the polling group is using strange, untraditional methods? In fact, Rasmussen Reports has been polling since about 2003 and came out of the gate praised for its accuracy. Back then, the liberal Slate magazine and the Wall Street Journal were among those who said Rasmussen Reports was one of the most accurate pollsters in both the 2004 presidential election and the 2006 midterms. In 2008, even the liberal outlet Talking Points Memo wrote, Rasmussen's final polls had Obama ahead 52 to 46 percent, which was nearly identical to Obama's final margin. In 2002, Rasmussen reports suffered a setback. It put Republican Mitt Romney ahead of Barack Obama in the presidential race, overestimating Romney's performance by about four percentage points on average. And as a result of that, a Fordham University ranking, conducted by a former Clinton Senate staffer, by the way, Costas Panagopoulos, ranked Rasmussen's reports 24th out of 28 polls in terms of 2012 accuracy. But in 2016, it's a different story. Rasmussen reports once again came out on top as the most accurate poll. Though no poll correctly predicted Trump to be the winner, and he handily won the electoral vote, by the way, it was 306 to 232, Rasmussen reports got the popular vote margin precisely correct, finding Clinton besting Trump by 2%. No other poll was so spot on. I thought this was interesting, though. Fordham's Panagopoulos omitted Rasmussen reports from his 2016 ranking when Rasmussen reports did so well when it would have been listed at the top instead of near the bottom. This brings us to December 2018 and that 50% approval rating for Trump by Rasmussen, which got so much attention and negative publicity. Philip Bump of the Washington Post, Nate Silver of ABC News, and CNN's Harry Enten all label Rasmussen reports the most inaccurate pollster in 2018, claiming that Rasmussen reports was off by almost 10 points in the congressional elections. So according to them, Rasmussen reports projected Republicans to win nationally by one point, while at the time, Democrats were actually winning the national House vote by 8.6 points, so they calculated, these critics, that Rasmussen made an error of nearly 10 points. But Rasmussen reports quickly punched back. It accused the press of deliberately misconstruing its work, and I think they make a pretty good argument, because Rasmussen reports never polled about the House of Representatives, could not have made a 10-point error in House projections because it never made a projection. As it had done for a decade, instead, the Rasmussen Reports poll asked one question collectively, 
covering both chambers of Congress, the House and the Senate, together. The question asked, if the elections for Congress, not the House or the Senate, but Congress, were held today, would you vote for the Republican candidate or the Democratic candidate? So Rasmussen Reports argues that the one-point cumulative edge it gave to Republicans in that poll in the combined House and Senate was hardly a 10-point miss. After all, Republicans lost the House, but they held on to the Senate, actually picked up two seats there. To make the media bias against Rasmussen reports even more obvious, media critics misrepresented the actual wording that Rasmussen reports used in its poll. And Rasmussen reports explained this in its rebuttal, which you can look up online if you go to rasmussenreports.com and search for what our Wikipedia page should tell you. So as they say, so eager were the critics to report about the generic ballot supposed failings that these critics changed Rasmussen Report's wording, the wording that they'd used in the poll, from Congress to the House. So no sooner did Rasmussen Reports defend itself and point out this error in the criticism than it came under further attack, this time by Wikipedia agenda editors who inserted their critiques into the Rasmussen Reports Wikipedia page. I reported on this at length how these special interests, sometimes for pay, pose as volunteer Wikipedia editors and control certain pages on Wikipedia to advance propaganda or certain storylines. But anyway, rather than rethinking their methodology, wrote the Wikipedia propagandists, Rasmussen pushed back against critics after their widely derided miss. And naturally, the Rasmussen Report's counterpoint, their explanation, though factual as it was, was not allowed to appear on the Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia agenda editors controlling the page deleted it, so the narrative stands. Again, compare this treatment that Rasmussen reports get, this rapid-fire attack, when there is no broad criticism of other polls that turn out to be wildly wrong. In fact, when their results, as long as they're on the narrative, are widely defended, even if wrong. One little-told example of bad results that were not subjected to widespread critiques came about a month before the 2016 election. It's really an amazing story of a turnabout. In late October 2016, an ABC Washington Post poll showed Hillary Clinton leading Trump by 12 points. This is shortly before the election. And Associated Press released its own poll the same month, and that showed Clinton ahead by 14 points. Then something strange happened. About a week later, the same ABC Washington Post poll, the one that showed Clinton beating Trump by 12 points, flipped. Now it showed Trump ahead by one point. That's a 13-point switch in one week in Trump's favor. Now, such a swing in polling is widely considered implausible, unless there's some marked event that can be blamed. But this swing was prior to the FBI Director Comey notifying Congress that it was looking into additional emails. I mean, there was really nothing that this can be pegged to as a real change in opinion. So what could be behind that swing? Well, the answer only came three years later in a surprising tweet from President Trump. And it provides one possible explanation for this mysterious turnabout or what looked like a turnabout in public opinion inside of a week. After that first ABC Washington Post poll showed Trump down 12 points, 
the Trump campaign apparently threatened legal action over what it viewed as wildly inaccurate polling. Here's what President Trump tweeted out later. ABC Washington Post poll was the worst and most inaccurate poll of any taken prior to the 2016 election. Trump tweeted this in September 2019, by the way, and you can Google that just by going to a search box and do Trump tweet worst and most inaccurate poll, and you can see this tweet for yourself. He goes on to say, when my lawyers protested, they, ABC Washington Post, took a 12-point down and brought it to almost even by election day. It was a fake poll by two very bad and dangerous media outlets. Sad. So why did Trump break the news about his lawyers objecting to that ABC Washington Post poll three years after the fact? Well, it appears he was trying to overtake the narrative after a new September 2019 ABC Washington Post poll showed his approval rating down again, this time over concern about a possible economic slump. As if on cue, here comes, though, the left-leaning website Vox to defend the ABC Washington Post polling that was negative on Trump. Here, Vox says, quote, Trump, of course, has a long history of attacking polls that don't reflect well on him. But his specific claim about inaccurate 2016 polling is simply false. And the blog goes on to defend that implausible 13-point swing by saying that public opinion probably just changed that much in a week. Now, it seems a little ironic that Vox is talking about Trump having a history of attacking polls that don't reflect well on him, when in fact the media and other pollsters have a history of attacking polls that turn out to be quite accurate, but off the narrative. This is all to say that the actual meat of the polls, if you have time to look at the numbers and the questions and the statistics, may be perfectly accurate, but we really have to watch for how the news media reports on the polls, the headlines that they choose to focus on, the statistics that they poll versus the ones that you can find inside the polls that they don't talk about at all. Just another lesson to keep in mind, as I know you will, as we move closer to the 2020 November vote for president. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Check out justthenews.com, by the way, and don't forget to subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast and my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours, as well as the other podcasts from Just the News, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Share them and don't forget to rate the program and leave a review. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. <laughs>